Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show Extra excited today Listen man It was a hell of a sports weekend I'm not gonna lie to you We had the NFL draft happen Thursday, Friday, Saturday Y'all know I love the draft Well maybe you don't If you don't know Let me tell you I love the draft I like, I like uh, Saturday rounds 4 through 7 Because I'm paying attention to that Me That's who Right I love the re- reactions to it, the immediate responses. You know, the media's got to make a story out of everything, so they start overanalyzing everything, right? This fight week, Canelo's fighting uh, Dimitri Bivol this this Saturday, single de Mayo weekend. Excited about that, so we're going to get into a little bit of that. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, look, I'm not the type of person that goes overboard and says something was the greatest thing I've ever seen, but I 100% saw top five best fights I've ever seen in my life on Saturday night, and it was two women. Sorry, we're going to get into it all. But let's intro this thing. Welcome back, Cyber family. Thanks for joining me. If this is your first time, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally! Wally! We are all excited here in Trash Can Studios. Look, maybe maybe it's because I got a full belly. Maybe it's because I got a little bit of the energy drink going. That's right, I'm on the sauce tonight. Maybe it's just because I had a great weekend in terms of sports. Look, the NBA playoffs continued, right? We saw, uh, we saw Boston take on Milwaukee. We saw Golden State take on Memphis. That series is going to be very fun to watch. You got a lot of good players in that, in that series. And, uh, and Memphis plays a little dirty. They play a little rough and rugged. And I think that's going to get um, under Golden State's skin. But listen, take a step back. Let's get into some quick hits. Quick hits. Quick hits. So let me just start by saying the NFL draft was this weekend. And uh, I got to say, I, I, I love, I love, and I'm, if you can't tell I'm being sarcastic, I love when people come out with their draft grades. It's so dumb. To me, it is so dumb when, when these, these analysts try to, who had the best draft? How do you know? How do you know? If, uh, all right, for example, for example, for example, <laughs> Baker Mayfield was taken number one overall. If I had told you that Baker Mayfield that year, in three years or four years, he was going to end up where he is now, would you think that was a good pick? No, you probably graded an F and said, you took, this is your franchise quarterback? No, F. See, the problem with me is you're judging these guys based off of what they did in college while at the same time acknowledging that they're taking a step up in, in, in competition and the NFL is different. So you're grading these teams over who they pick based on their name and their resume. But in reality, we've seen so many top name guys bust in the NFL and turn out to be nothing. And we've seen so many guys who were picked later or people thought were overdrafted or people reached on and they turned out to be great. So why do we still continue to give grades? It makes no sense. Oh, wait, it does. It's just for TV. Because once again, like I've been saying since day one, 24-7 news cycle, you got to have something to talk about. But I think all these guys look silly when they try to criticize somebody's draft and say, what grade you get? Who gets an A? Who gets a B? Who gets a C? Can we revisit it in five years and regrade it? Because I bet y'all will be more wrong. I don't know. But quickly, my takeaways from the draft, look. The Lions seem to be committed to Jared Goff. I'm gonna just say right. I'm gonna just say it right now. I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna put it on record because I believe this. I'm right about Jared Goff. <laughs> 
Jared Goff is a good NFL quarterback and he's good enough to get you to the Super Bowl. And if that team builds around him, they are going to be successful. And that team is going to be more successful with Jared Goff if they build around him than they were with Matthew Stafford. I'm going to be right on this. Jared Goff is good and you guys are sleeping on me. You need to stop. Also, another quick take, the Cowboys draft. The Cowboys draft is all based around potential. They got a bunch of guys that if they turn out and they and they improve and they and they grow to what people are expecting them to be, then their draft is going to be rock solid, right? Like their first pick, uh, Tyler Smith, that guy, if he turns out to be what he's projected to be by a lot of teams in the NFL, not just the Cowboys, if he turns out to be that, amazing pick. So I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of, in the vein of saying why would we trade a draft, I'm looking at the Cowboys draft and, and saying we don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. They didn't get any like high profile guys that I'm like, yeah, I was rooting for him. But, you know, whatever. Also, uh, I think the Jets killed it, man, in the first day. I think they got the best wide receiver in the draft. I think they got the best tight end in the draft. And they got the best corner in the draft. Like, come on, man. Come on. What else can you do? Look. Garrett Wilson, to me, is the best receiver in the draft, and it wasn't even close. That guy's a stud. Uh, yeah, Sauce Gardner, legit corner. One or two, if you want to put him or Stingley up there. But, you know, there were questions about Stingley. Everyone's raving about Sauce Gardner's uh, his attitude and the way he comes in and just changes the dynamic of a room as far as competition goes. And then, look, Jeremy Rucker, to me, is the best tight end in, in, in college. He was the best tight end in this draft. Listen, I know I'm an Ohio State fan. I might be a little biased. I'm not. But what I'm saying is I watched the guy, and I'm telling you, he didn't get the opportunities at Ohio State he would have gotten at any other school. They had way too many receivers. The running game was stupid. They didn't really need to go to the tight end. But whenever they needed a big play, that guy was making it happen for them. Clutch moments, in traffic, one-handed grabs. I'm telling you, this guy is legit. He's going to go to the NFL, and he's going to be a stud. Watch it. Also, uh, switching gears to basketball, look, man, the Nets are being uh, criticized all week ever since they lost to Boston. The criticism has been the biggest disappointment, the biggest flop. They didn't live up to expectations. And here's my problem with that. Who set the expectations? You did. You, first of all, let me just use ESPN as an example. All the ESPN analysts, they picked the Nets to win the title or get to the title. Y'all picked it. Every NBA player's goal at the beginning of the year is get to the finals and win. That's everybody's goal. Everybody's expectation is we're going to get to the finals and we're going to win. Now, as the season progresses, expectations change and things happen. But the problem is you guys, because you're a 24-7 media outlet, you guys need to create content. So you start ranting and raving about how good they are and they could be. But that's your expectation. So when they don't live up to your expectation, you can't blame them. Blame yourself. Kevin Durant is who he is. Kyrie Irving is who he is. When you saw the problem start to happen, they started to happen. You saw it all lining up this way and you still continue to ride your pick. And now you want to rail on them and say how bad they are? Nah. You are the one that set these expectations and asked them to live up to your expectations to make you look good. Well, they didn't. They were who they were, and that's on you. Chris Paul. Listen, in the closing game against the Pelicans, Chris Paul went 14 for 14 from the field. He also didn't miss a free throw. He was amazing. Look, and now everyone's talking about how great Chris Paul is. Oh, Chris Paul's so good. Chris Paul's amazing. Chris Paul's the best point guard ever. Point guard is back, and I told you, everybody loves him. Watch how quickly they turn on him if he has a bad game. 
let him have two or three games in a row where it's kind of shaky there. And you, all this love for him, all this, he's great, he's a legend, oh my god, unbelievable player, clutch, comes up in big moments, all that's going to be right out the window, and they're going to be trashing him. Chris Paul's the same guy he was when he was with the Clippers. Same player. You know what the difference is? The team around him is a little better. So it'll make him look a little better. He's the same player, and you guys grilled him, chastised him, and then he went to Oklahoma City. They got better. They got to the playoffs. Then you loved him. Then he went to, to Phoenix, and then they got to the playoffs. You loved him, but then in the finals, you said he choked. Come on, man. They will turn on him in a heartbeat, but right now, it's point God. Keep an eye on that. And, uh, and lastly, look, Boston and Golden State uh, in game one of their series. And Golden State, at this point, they played game two last night. They both showed in, in those games that they're not as good as they looked at against their round one. Right? So in round one, like both Boston and Golden State looked like a collision course for the finals. But here's the thing. Boston wasn't as good as they looked. It was just a great matchup for them, and the Nets were a mess. So they looked great. But it, when you go against a better team like Milwaukee, they got knocked down to reality a bit. So you got, you know, you got taken back down a notch. Now, not saying they're not good, not saying they can't win those series, but just saying you saw they're going to have to step their game up a bit. And they did step it up in, in game two last night. And the same thing with uh, with Golden State. They were able to walk away with game one. They were able to escape and get out of there. In game two, again, Memphis came out and showed them it's, it's going to be tougher than it was in round one. And I, I just think styles make fights, styles make games. Round one, both Boston and Golden State had great matchups, easy for them. And, and round two, it's going to be a lot tougher. I do still like both of those teams to win those series, though. I still like Boston to beat Milwaukee, and I still like Golden State to beat Memphis. I just think it's going to be a little tougher than it was before. And I'll tell you what, I still like Boston coming out of the East. But Miami scares me a little bit. That's all for quick hits. So this weekend, uh, this weekend, man, this weekend coming up is going to be a big time fight weekend, and the weekend that just passed was also a big time fight weekend. We saw uh, we saw Shakur Stevenson look just like unbeatable against Oscar Valdez. Look, quick take on that fight. I was very disappointed because I was hoping a fight of that magnitude where you have two undefeated fighters going for undisputed at that weight class i, I was kind of hoping to see a more competitive fight i was hoping to see uh shakur stevenson be pushed a little bit to see like where you know what he can do if he's outside of his comfort zone but i gotta be honest man uh the kid's good man the kid's good look i'm a natural contrarian right so if you have somebody that say he's a prodigy or he's gifted or he's this or that i immediately want to go against it <laughs> So with him, I'm like hesitant and be like, nah, he's legit. But in that fight, man, he took another guy who is well-respected, who's a champion, right, who's earned all of his accolades and just and just left him with no options. He had nothing to do. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. Shakur Stevenson is really good, and I am excited to see what he does next. Now, also, actually, let me get this out the way. Uh, Jesse Vargas, I'm a big fan of Jesse Vargas. I like the way he fights. I think he's tough as nails. I think he goes for it. He gives, leaves it all out there. If nothing else, he leaves it all out there. Um, but he went against uh, Callum Smith. Not Callum Smith. God, why am I forgetting the younger one's name? Nah, I'm a, beefy. Beefy Smith. Ugh, that sounds gross. <laughs> beefy, okay. 
beat up Jesse Vargas, man. Jesse Vargas looked good in the first couple rounds. I thought he was winning the first couple rounds. It was very competitive, very good. But I think what you saw was you saw one guy start to slow down, and and Jesse Vargas was moving up in weight to 154. So it was like you could see it, it's over for him, man. I, I, I just think he's beyond the point of he don't need it no more. He don't need the fights. He don't. He's got other stuff going on. He's got other career ventures going on. He's ha- having success with, with the commentating. He don't need it. And, and and that's a guy where you could just see, like, what's he going to do next? And I, I think he knew. I think he knew. You could see, like, a little older, a, a step slower. You could see, like, his, his brain was telling him to dip this way, but his body was just a, a half a second too slow. And it just, he got caught. Uh, he didn't get put down. He didn't get put down, but, you know, they had to stop the fight. So, look, man, if this is it for Jesse Vargas, listen, as a fan, I appreciate what you've done. Uh, A lot of entertaining fights. Uh, Appreciate your work. Good good career. Now, for the main event, okay, so this Saturday, uh, the the, the talk was the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight. And I got to tell you, I had decided early on I was going to watch it. I said, oh, it's free? It's on the zone. Uh, so it's free. Well, not free, but, you know, it's basically like Netflix. So you get the watch. You already paid for it, so it's not that big a deal. So it was on the zone, and I said, you know what? I- I'm going to watch the fight. So I set a reminder in my phone. I said, what time are the ring walks? And then I found out Jesse Vargas was fighting on that card. I knew he was fighting that night, but I didn't know it was going to be on the same card. So I made sure to check in. You know, I got kids. Sometimes, you know, I I be forgetting that the fight's coming on at a certain time. If, if it's not like Canelo, like a Canelo or whatever, like a must watch, like I can't miss it. Like I'm so excited for it, I'm gonna remember. This fight was like, yeah, I want to watch it because you know it's it's for for the title. Um, Katie Taylor is, is is considered to be you know one of if not the best female boxer of all time. Amanda Serrano, I saw her in the last couple of Jake Paul undercards, so I know what she can do. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch it. I've never really, I don't really watch women's boxing like that, but I'm gonna watch this one because again, I'm a sports fan, so I watch like the major events. I don't watch hockey either, but if it's Game Seven in the Stanley Cup Finals, I'm gonna watch it. Like this, you know, as a sports fan, there's just certain things you gotta tune in for. So I was ready to watch this fight, and let me tell you, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea. I, I, listen, I'm going to get into it a little more detail, but let me just say, that was, without a doubt, one of the five best fights I've ever seen. In my top five of fights I've ever seen, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fits right in there. It was unbelievable. It was Unbelievable. Let me just say, I had never seen Katie Taylor fight. I've never heard of Katie Taylor. I don't know who she is. Okay? The only reason why I know who Amanda Serrano is is because, like I said, in the last couple of Jake Paul fights, she's been fighting on the undercard. So you just kind of catch a glimpse and you say, wow, she throws a lot of punches. She's beating people up. So I didn't know who Katie Taylor was. But when that bell went ding, ding, and she came out, I said, no, 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 no. Because, listen, I'm not to be disrespectful. But there was a, 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 a fight earlier on the card, um, a women's fight, and it looked kind of what I feel like women's boxing usually looks like whenever I catch it. It just seems a, a little sloppy. I'm being disrespectful by accident. I, I really don't mean this in a bad way, but it just, there's, there's just something off about it. It just doesn't seem as crisp. It doesn't seem like... It just seems a, l- a little more chaotic, right? 
like a little more like a I've noticed a little less defense <laughs> and they just taking each other's heads off listen nothing wrong with that but Katie Taylor her movement was unbelievable bouncing in and out bounce in throw a punch bounce out as Serrano throws a punch she's dipping it bouncing in and out couldn't time it boom jumping in da 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 bounce out like the movement was Pacquiao-esque it was unbelievable so right from round one, I said, yo, 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 this girl's different. This is, un- I've never seen, I've never been so shocked by how good somebody was. So that's how the fight started. So the first couple rounds, I'm like, yo, this girl's unbelievable. And I thought she won the first three rounds. Without a question in my mind, she won the first three rounds. Right? Serrano was stalking, but she was missing. Katie Taylor was hitting her with combos, uh, doubling up on shots. It was, it was, it was impressive. Then... I felt like what Katie Taylor did was said, I can't run. I can't bounce like this the whole fight. I'm going to have to sit on my punches and show you I could bang with you. And then she got caught. She got caught with some shots and she got wobbled. And I found myself yelling at the TV. I'm screaming at the TV. Like, couldn't believe what I was seeing. And she was taking the punches. She was getting hit clean, barely on her feet. And was still there. Got in her corner. Looked like she... I, I actually yelled to my wife in another room. Oh, she's not conscious right now. She was staring at her trainer. But I felt... You could see she wasn't there. She was on a different planet. Okay? And I'm like, oh, man, this could be bad. She could lose right here. And now the thing that hurts me as a fan... It's kind of the problem I had with Deontay Wilder. I hate when you see a guy who's clearly a better boxer... And they're winning the fight, and they're outboxing somebody, and by some masterclass, and then all of a sudden that person has just special power. So they hit the better boxer with a shot, fight's over, and you're like, man, if they could have avoided that one shot, they would have won. It happened when uh, Luis Ortiz was fighting um, Deontay Wilder. Both fights was winning those fights, was winning them. And then he, he couldn't avoid that right hand. It almost happened with Tyson Fury in the first fight with Deontay Wilder, where he was winning the fight, and then in the last round, he got put down. And you're just like, ah, and you thought that was going to be it. Luckily, he got back up, so it ended up being a draw. But I hate seeing that. So I felt like in this fight, Katie Taylor, like, listen, no disrespect to uh, Amanda, uh, Amanda Serrano. She's legit, like, legit. But I just felt like Katie Taylor was better. And so in that moment, I was like, man, I really hope Serrano doesn't just knock her out. Because then it's like, I feel bad because like this person's better. And like, ah, man, but that's just the way boxing goes. But that's just a little nitpick of mine. So when she came back out that next round, I, w- I was yelling at my TV, just stay away. Just stay away from her. Because, you know, female boxing is only two-minute rounds. Which, let me tell you something. I know that they keep saying they should move the women's to three-minute rounds like the men and they can handle it. I don't think it's anything about that. I think as far as entertainment goes... And maybe that's what's different when I watch female boxing because it does look a little... I said before that it's chaotic. That's not what I mean. Not speaking, Walking through this, look, this is how good this fight was. I can't even speak. <laughs> but just like going through it, it's not that it's chaotic. There's a greater sense of urgency. So they're a lot more aggressive. There's no, there's no waiting around. There's no sitting back and judging your opponent. It's only two minutes. We got to get right to it. That's a better way of saying what women's boxing is and what I've noticed. So my apologies before for coming across as disrespectful. I mean no disrespect. I was I was proven wrong this weekend by thinking that women's boxing is yeah whatever. Nah, this was amazing. Top five fight I've ever seen. 
in my life. Like, top five. It was unbelievable. Anyway, back to what I was saying. She comes out in that next round, and I'm yelling at TV, back up, stay away. Just move around, get your legs back under you. And she wouldn't. She kept engaging. Katie Taylor was like, either I'm going to win or I'm going to lose, but I am not walking. I'm not backing down from this. And I think what happened was in that round, she got through. And the next round, she got through again. And she seemed, and then she came out that, that next round, and she was really like back on it. And for the rest of the fight, I thought she won. Now, I thought, because after, after seven rounds, I had it 5-2 for uh, Katie Taylor. After seven rounds, stupid Chris Mannix, okay, had it 6-1 for a Serrano. Now, I know I'm not crazy, okay? And his, I didn't hear it at the time because I was yelling at the TV. I just saw a scorecard, and I was like, yo, he's bugging. And I was looking at my wife, and I was like, they're going to take, they're going to give Amanda this fight. If he's right, and I'm that off, because I thought it was lopsided the other way, because I thought Katie Taylor was just a better boxer. I thought in the first three rounds, Serrano couldn't do anything. He couldn't even land a punch, right? And then, but his reasoning was is that Amanda was landing the, the, the more severe shot, the more power shots, the more impactful shots. And I'm like, yo, it don't matter. If I hit you seven times, you hit me once. If I didn't go down and neither did you, I win that exchange. But I digress. Whatever. So when the 12th round came, oh, I'm sorry, the 10th round came. Was it 10? It was 10 rounds. I can't even remember. That's how good this fight was. It was 10 rounds. It was 10 rounds. (laughs) It was that good. I don't even remember how many rounds it was. This fight was amazing. If you haven't seen, if you didn't watch the fight, watch it. And that final round, those two girls were standing toe to toe in the center of the ring, banging it out. She almost, Katie Taylor almost knocked down Serrano. She got wobbled and then she came back and wobbled Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor buckled, almost hit the canvas. But kept herself up and continued to bang until the bell rang. I said, I cannot believe that finish. That finish may have been the best finish I've ever seen to a fight where these two guys are just going at it. And I know you're going to have Gotti Ward. I get it. This fight, every bit as good as those. Every bit as good as those. This fight was unbelievable. I know I spent a lot of time talking about it. It's worth it. It deserves it. If you didn't watch the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight, go right now and look it up and watch it. I promise you, you're going to think it's amazing too. It was unbelievable. But we can't talk Amanda Serrano without talking about who her promoter is, Mr. Jake Paul. That's right. It's been a long time, y'all. Ring the alarms. Ring the alarms. It's been a long time. Jake Paul talk is back. So because of this fight, Jake Paul was was back in the spotlight. Uh, And let me just start by saying, Jake Paul always is known for and associated with fighter pay. And saying that fighters need to get more money, they need more pay, blah, 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 blah. And everyone always says, man, it's not right how much these fighters get paid, especially in the UFC. They're always like, ah, they make pennies and they put their life on the line and blah, 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 blah. Can we stop with that? Can we stop with that whole narrative? First of all, nobody asked you to be a fighter. Nobody asked you. Nobody, Dana White didn't go ask anybody to be become a fighter. Nobody asked you to be a boxer. Nobody went to recruit you. Nobody's come to my job and said, hey, does anybody here want to box? We, got, we need somebody to box you. Can you box? And they tried to recruit me. They don't do that. If you're a fighter, 
You put your name in the ring. You go in there. You fight. And you build up your buzz. You build up your reputation. You get your agents. You get your manager. Whatever. They start putting you on cards. You start building your way up. Right? That's what you're, That's your choice. That's what you chose to do with your life is to become a fighter. Don't now turn around and say, I deserve more money because of what I do for a living. Nah, homie. The price tag was, you knew how much you were going to make. When you sign on for the fight, they tell you exactly how much you're going to get before you sign. It's not like you sign and then they tell you how much you're going to get. They let you know. Your trainers will let you know what their fee is. Your manager will let you know what their fee is. Your cut man let you know what their fee Everybody tells you what it's going to cost. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what you're going to make. Your choice if you want to continue to live this life. Now, look, I agree. I agree. If... The UFC, for example, if a, if a fight card is pulling in $10 million and Dana White is spending 30000 of that $10 million on the fighters, that's a problem. Because, yeah, these guys did decide to do this, but without the fighters, you have no event, so give them a little kickback, right? But here's one thing that we don't know. We don't know how much it costs to throw one of these UFC events. We have no idea. We don't know how much he spends on the actual event itself and how much he makes in terms of profit. So if they have a structure in place and he's putting most of that money back into the UFC, then great, no problem with it. But if he's walking away with 90% of the money in his pocket after paying expenses for the venue and for the event and paying the fighters, then that's a problem. But again, even that being said... If he hires you, if you go to be in the UFC and he lets you know right off the bat, here's how much you make, here's the pay structure, here's the pay scale, and you sign on to that, that's on you. You can't come out and have people go on a crusade for you to try to get more money because you signed up for that. And if you don't want to make $40,000 a year being a UFC fighter and get your head beat in and spending all this time training and breaking down your body, then you can go work a normal 9 to 5 day job for $40,000 a year and you won't have to suffer through that. But if you want to be a fighter, that's what the rate is. Now, in boxing, is different. Boxing, there's a lot more money. But again, that's still based on what you can generate. What type of interest do you generate? If you're not a big draw, if you don't have millions of people watching, if you can't sell out a small theater, like nobody's going to give you the big bucks. Everybody has to make money. And the head guy in charge has to make the most. And if you're not the head guy in charge, then you're not going to make the most. And that's what it is. But now, Jake Paul not only gets credited for, for raising the topic of a fighter pay. And again, like I said, I agree to an extent. But I also agree with, if you know what it is before you sign up, I can't feel bad for you. Jake Paul also gets credited with bringing more eyes to boxing. And here's what I'm going to say to you. That is a lie. That's a lie. Because as I've said before from the beginning, he doesn't bring fans to boxing. He brings fans to his event. Jake Paul doesn't walk around promoting and, and, and bigging up other events. He doesn't. He doesn't sit there and say, yo, I'm, I'm doing a live, uh, an IG live during this fight. Let's sit down and talk about watch the fight with me. Like, you don't do none of that. He promotes his fights. And if it's a Canelo fight, then he'll talk about the Canelo fight because he wants the Canelo fight. He doesn't bring eyes to the sport. He brings eyes to him. 
See, if one thing was made clear to me this weekend, it was that Jake Paul is completely selfish. Everything in his world is about him. And that's not even necessarily an insult because to be to a certain level of success, you have to be all about self. That's just what it is. Like you have to be selfish with your time, with your energy, with your with everything. So I'm not knocking him for that, but it is clear. As a promoter, it kind of works. But I have a little issue with him making everything about him. Um, for example, they did a face-off with him and Eddie Hearn. Huh? I've never seen two promoters have a face-off before. And when, when I mean face-off, I mean uh, uh, they had the, the moderator there, and they were sitting on each side of a table, and they were having like a back-and-forth interview as, like they do with the fighters. They did that with them, the two promoters. And I bet you that was on Jake Paul's like advice of we should do this. It'll draw a bunch of attention. And they sure enough did. I watched it. But I didn't watch it for Jake Paul. I watched it for Eddie Hearn because I was wondering how they would interact. And, and let me just say, in that interaction, I absolutely fell in love with Eddie Hearn. Like, I love this dude. This dude, to me, is great. I, I, he just seems like... He, don't, he, he wasn't getting too, like... He wasn't, like, sugarcoating nothing, but he also wasn't being disrespectful. He was being, like, honest and genuine. And, like, look, he was giving Jake Paul a lot of credit, and then he was saying how uh, Jake Paul is average, but being average is a compliment for him because there's a lot of average boxers. It's not a negative thing, but you're not, like, elite... Um, I did like that he said he doesn't think he'll ever win a world title. And I do like even more that he said you can't just make a belt and then fight for that belt and say that now you're the new champion. You actually have to go beat a legitimate world champion. And he doesn't think he will. And you know what? I don't think he will either. And my reason being is because something I noticed is that Jake Paul constantly talks about proving people wrong. And he says that and he, he said that when he when he goes and fights somebody, he's going he's gonna to knock him out and then he's going to pull up the old tweet or the old video and say, I got the last laugh. And I'm going to say, you have to watch out for the people who do everything with the mindset of, I'm going to prove you wrong. I don't think that's a good way to be. I, because it, that, so your heart doesn't have to be in it. I don't think Canelo fights because he wants to prove anybody wrong. I don't think Canelo wanted the rematch against Triple G because he wanted to prove people wrong. I think he's doing it for him. And I think that's why we'll talk about it in a minute because some information came out about uh, what Canelo was offered from uh, from PBC to fight Charlo um, or Benavidez. But I think he just does what he wants to do for him. Jake Paul, for me, seems like he's trying to prove something to someone. Like he's trying to get validation and prove that he's... he's, he's I'm good at boxing. Look at what I did. And when people disrespect like will you beat Tyron Woodley like he's not a boxer he's never really boxed like that before he's you know you didn't fight a legit fighter and then he says well I'm, I'm gonna fight Tommy Fury I'm trying to fight Tommy Fury and then Eddie Hearn was like yeah but you, that's a close that's an even fight like Tommy Fury is never gonna be a world champion either so that's not like and it's like yes <laughs> finally because I was starting to think like what if he beats Tommy Fury then everyone says, if he, beats a, if he beats Tommy Fury, if he beats a real boxer, then you can't say anything else. And it's like, the hell I can't. And then it's like, yeah, Tommy Fury's not like the best you could do. You know what I mean? Like, Tommy Fury is not the best fighter available for him to fight a cruiserweight. So if you beat Tommy Fury, like, who'd you really beat? You beat a guy kind of at the same level as you. Someone who's probably been training in the sport 
seriously the same level as you. You know? Someone who's fought boxing short. Now, I don't... Can he beat Tommy Fury? Tommy Fury takes a lot of punches. That dude leads with his head a lot. I, I mean, if I, I, he could get knocked out. I don't see why that's impossible. If you take a clean hit on the jaw, like, as he would, he can. But I don't know. But I, I just like that Eddie Hearn was, was being blunt, being with him, giving him credit, but also saying I'm not going to boost your head up and make you think like you have a chance to beat Canelo. And I hate that Jake Paul thinks he could beat Canelo. Because I know, I, I understand believing in yourself, why, believe in the impossible, I've done so much, why would I limit myself, like anything's possible, like sure, but there's levels. You're not anywhere near that level. Canelo could fight you at your weight. He could be 175, you could be 190 if you want to, it don't matter. You've never eaten a body shot like Canelo's going to throw at you. You've never dealt with pressure like Canelo's going to give to you. You've never been on that level of a stage. You've never been with that level of a killer. It's never happened. You've never experienced it. I saw... The, watch the... Watch the, um, watch the Tyron Woodley fights. Look how nervous he was. Like, what you think is going to happen? You see how scared he was in the first Woodley fight? You see how he stood away in the first one? Second one was different, right? Why? Because he had already fought him. He already knew what he was going to bring to the table. But in that first fight, you could see he was he was shaking in his boots. What do you think is going to happen when you get in front of Canelo? A guy who has zero concern or fear about you, but not because he doesn't respect you, but because he already knows that he's put in years, a lifetime of work. Nah, ain't going to happen. But Jake Paul, again, just has to make it about him. He made a million-dollar bet. Oh, I'm good. I want to bet money. And yeah, Eddie Hearn said it was my the million dollars was me. I'm the one who set the price. But Jake Paul needs to stop asking people to make bets. Bet on it. Bet on it. He thinks that because you bet on it, it makes people interested. Like, no, it's stupid. And can we stop covering it? Like these are real things. And then like, what are you gonna do with the million dollars? Well, I'm gonna give it to Amanda. She deserves it. Like, if you was really gonna give it to her and you was really about her and not really about trying to be self promoting in that moment, you wouldn't have said nothing. But you're trying to make it about you. Then he came out in the ring walk with her. Now look, maybe that's her idea, but he should have said, no, this is about you. I don't, nowhere near it. I'm going to be right at ringside like everybody else is promoted. Eddie Hearn didn't walk out. But for him to walk out of the ring walk, he's always promoting. He's always like trying to boost his brand. I don't think it was a coincidence that he he started representing a woman first. I think 100% that was intentional. Because it's something not everybody was doing. It's something that's going to get you a little more interest if you're like a woman. He's, what? Promoting a woman? Getting bigger fights for women? Yeah. I don't know what Jake Paul's going to do next, but he's delusional. He's a self-promoter. He's all about self. I don't think he cares about growing the sport of boxing because if he did, he would do more in the way of talking and bigging up other fighters and not just trashing the guys he wants to fight for a payday. Not just trolling people. Right, He would be really trying to use his influence and his large fan base and following to be talking and bigging up other guys. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't see him doing it. So, it is what it is, I guess. But that was an amazing fight, man. Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, thank you. As a boxing fan, that fight 
I, listen, let me just say, can we stop disrespecting them and disrespecting that fight by saying that was one of the best female fights of all time? Nah, that fight can stand toe-to-toe with any fight you put up against me. I'm not saying it's better than anything, but you're not going to watch it and think, nah, it was good, but you know, it's women. For women, it's good. No, for boxing, that was good. If you like seeing people throw and take punches, that fight was great. And it deserves to be ranked amongst all boxing, not just female boxing. That wasn't just a female fight. That was a great fight. Regardless, male, female, don't matter. That was a great fight. Now let's go to Canelo. Because this is fight week. I am a Canelo fan. Um, I'll give you my prediction on the Canelo Bivol fight in, in a moment. But what I want to talk about is the, the, the uh, a report came out today. That Tom Brown, the head of TGB Promotions, and they represent Charlo and Errol Spence Jr., says that PBC offered $45 million guaranteed for Canelo to fight Charlo. They offered Canelo $45 million guaranteed to fight Charlo. And if he were to win, a $55 million guarantee for a catchweight fight with Errol Spence Jr. at 164, or he could choose to take on Benavidez at 168. Now, those numbers are massive i don't know what the zone offered him i don't know what eddie hearn offered him to take on these fights but as it stands right now he's gonna fight bivol and then after this he's set to fight triple g at 168 and then after that we don't know who the third fight is if there's a, an opponent in mind or if it's just whatever but it's a three fight deal now the people who think canelo's ducking charlo and benavidez are gonna say see he's ducking 45 million dollars he turned it down now, we don't know if he got more um, from, from Eddie Hearn from Matchroom or if he got less. We don't know. This report doesn't say to me that he's ducking. What it says to me is he had to choose between taking money and fighting Charlo at 160. So he'd have to go down the weight to 160 or ask Charlo to come up in weight to fight at 168. Or I could move up to 175. To take on this guy who's an incredible challenge. And in my opinion, a greater challenge. Like, you're now at the disadvantage. Like, Charlo coming up to 168, you have the advantage. You're the bigger guy. Right? You're the champion at that weight class. You're the bigger guy. You got somebody coming up to fight you. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but you have the advantages. Going up to fight Bivol, you got the disadvantages. He's bigger than you, naturally. He's going to come in fight night bigger than you. Probably much bigger than you. He's taller. He's also a champion. He's also undefeated. If you could beat him, you get his belt. Charlo ain't going to have no belt to bring up to you. So you're going to fight Charlo. So you assume all the risk of fighting Charlo. But you get nothing for a win. Like you get nothing for beating Charlo. Here's what fans need to look at it as. If fighting Charlo meant, if he beats Charlo, then everyone says, yo, Canelo's legit, best of all time, not blah, 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 no questions asked. Doesn't matter who he fights next. Then he would probably do it. Because if this is the top of the mountain, then I'm going to go to the top of the mountain. But the reality is, is if if you hate Canelo, what you're going to say is if he beats Charlo, you're going to say, well, he's got to fight Benavidez now. And after he beats him, you're going to say, well, he's got to fight that guy now. And it's always going to continue. You want to know how I know? Because I did it with Mayweather. (laughs) Because I was a hater. And because I kept saying, oh, he beat that guy. He got to go beat that guy, though. And then when he beats that guy, yeah, but he ain't beat that guy, though. And then when he beats him, I'm like, oh, well, he, he beat Canelo when he was young. Like, nah, you can't do that. As a fan, you can't do that. 
because that's wrong. But that's what people are doing. I don't think he's ducking. I think what he, I think what this shows you is it's not about the money. It's not about the public, not the demands or, or what they think is good or bad. It's not about that. It's about challenging himself. Because I think we all need to remember being a boxer is hard. Like he has to train hard. He has to stay in amazing shape. He has to prepare himself mentally to fight, to get physically hurt and physically hurt somebody else. That takes a lot to day after day through a training camp, lock in and improve and get better and better and better and better. And the only thing that motivates him is great challenges. Now, I do think it's look, look, he's not losing his titles. So if he loses his fight, he's still undisputed, you know, super middleweight champion. So he can go back down to 168 and still be the champion, still pick up other fights. And I don't think anybody's really going to look at him in like a negative way. Like, you lost to a 175-pound guy, like, legit, like, champion-level fighter. Like, no harm, no foul. No harm, no foul. This guy's good. Like, Bivol is good. And he's big. But I think the challenge of moving up to face that guy for Canelo excited him more than either having Charlo move up or moving down to fight Charlo just to hush some people up or just to get a big payday. Because I think he's going to make good money in this fight. He don't need to make $45 million. That's also another thing. Like, just because Floyd Mayweather would take any fight for $150 million doesn't mean everybody does it that way. Like, if, if you're telling me I can go take on a greater challenge for $30 million or I could take, like, a lesser challenge for $45, like, I'll go with the greater challenge for $30. What's the extra $15 million going to do for me? I'm already rich. I already got all the money in the world. I already ha- I have the extra $15 million in the bank right now. Not me in real life. I'm just saying in this scenario if I was Canelo. Canelo probably has $15 million sitting in the bank that he hasn't touched yet. That'll make up the difference. Go take on Bivol, get this greater challenge, get yourself engaged. I think he's doing what's making him feel the most engaged. The interesting part of it, though, is him fighting Errol Spence at a catchweight of 164. Does Errol Spence win? Because here's the thing. Errol Spence is too big to be fighting at 147. He would probably do very well at 160. I don't know if he has the power to like hurt people at 160, but as far as boxing skill, if he could like not have to cut so much weight, he'd be a beast at 160. As it stands at 147, I think you know, I think he's gonna lose to Terence Crawford, and then Benavidez like he could still fight him at 168 though. Like that's not going nowhere. Benavidez ain't old. Canelo's not old. Like it's not like he's got two fights left in him and it's over. The real problem is going to be they're going to have Triple G come up to 168. Yo, y'all better stop playing with me. Like, sheesh. Once, yo, Canelo at 168, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Canelo at 168 murders Triple G. I think Triple G is too old. I know he could take a punch, but Canelo at 168 is so rock solid. Right, and, and if you're fighting Bivol and you can get past Bivol, bruh, that means you 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 just you're coming off fighting a much bigger person, um, someone with a similar style to Triple G, and now you're coming back to fight Triple G, an older version of Triple G, who's probably gonna be a little more desperate because he knows he don't got twelve rounds in him, so he's gonna be a little more desperate early and probably be open to getting caught with some stuff early and Canelo in my opinion is stronger right now at 168 than 160 I don't know man that's a bad fight for Triple G but let's get to my predictions 
Canelo Bivol, what do I think is going to happen? Well, like I said, I think Bivol has a similar style to Triple G, so I think Canelo feels very comfortable going against a bigger, stronger guy who's got a really good jab. I think he's comfortable with that. I think he has a game plan. Now, whether that can get carried out or not, I have no idea. But here's what I think about Bivol. I think Bivol is who he is. I think what you see on film, I don't think he's going to come into the ring and do something different that Canelo hasn't seen or isn't prepared for. Much the same way I don't think Canelo's going to do anything different either. I think this goes to the scorecards. I don't think Bivol opens himself up enough to land big shots on Canelo to knock him out. I don't think he's going to take that many chances. I think Canelo's consistent pressure, I think his counterpunching, I think his body work is all going to make Bivol say, I don't want to be reckless. He's going to be overly cautious and overly like attentive to detail and not take any unnecessary risks. So I don't think he's going to be able to land anything to knock out Canelo. Now, it's possible, but this is just what I think is going to happen. So I think it's going to go to the scorecards, and I think it's going to be a lot like Triple G Canelo 2, where I think it's going to be a slightly controversial decision where Canelo gets the nod. I think Canelo wins by decision, but I think there's going to be a lot of people or enough people who think Bivol probably edged him out. But here's the interesting thing. Even though Bivol is the champion, and they always say if you want to get the belts, you got to beat the champion. you got to really take the belts. You can't get walk in and get no little split decision. you got to win. But Canelo, even in this fight, not being the champ at 175, is still the A-side. And I still think he's the golden boy. And so I think Bivol has to come in and be the one. Even though he's the champion, he has to be the one to come in and take it from Canelo in a weird way. So I think Canelo's going to get all of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to scorecards. If it's a close round, they're probably going to give it to Canelo. And so I think that's how he edges out a win. I think he probably wins by two rounds, you know. Um, but so I think Canelo close on the scorecards and a slightly controversial decision. That's my prediction for that fight. But look, I'll be watching. I want to end today by uh, recapping the draft and going over some of my, uh, my, my some of my thoughts. Uh, first of all, can I can I just say can we stop with all of the antics at the draft? Like, can we stop with all like the blue man group and can we stop with the celebrity uh, announcers announcing the pick? Can we stop with all the 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 the, the make a wish kids and all that? Can we, can we stop that? Can we just have the commissioner come out on day one make the picks and then can we have like the the second guy in command come out on day two and then have some intern come do it in day three and just walk up there make the picks and walk out? I understand that it's on TV now and you're trying to make a good product and you got people that show up to the draft by the thousands. I get that you're trying to make it somewhat entertaining. Leave that off my TV screen. <laughs> Like, if you want to have companies come out and advertisers come out and have little booths set up and little games and whatever, make it like a fair, set up a fair atmosphere where in the main stage, in the main area, you have the draft going on and you have the announcements coming on. You have speakers all around the venue, but you have all these little game stations set up for people to play and have fun and do whatever. Do that. I'm tired of uh, of, of trying to hear a pick. And, and some bozo coming out and talking for five minutes, talking up his team, and now we're the 39th pick. I'm blah, blah, blah. No. Can't even read. <laughs> you ever see the people up there? Yo, I think it was Emmett that said the 2020 draft. Like, come on, Emmett. Can we stop with all that nonsense? 
Yo, commissioner, you come out, make the pick. And don't come out and say, we would like to say thank you to such and such. Like, no, I know they paid, but come on, paid to do something else. Oh, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. Maybe it's because I'd be trying to catch uh, uh, a little bit of the draft while I'm at work. So, like, I only got, like, 30 seconds and y'all take four minutes to announce the pick so I can't even see the pick. Maybe that's why I'd be getting so annoyed. But it just seems unnecessary to me. Unnecessary. Again, you got enough money, NFL. How much more money do you need? How much more selling out do you need to do to get one more person to come up on stage to make a pick? How much money did you need to accept? <sighs> the next question is, uh, you guys are probably wondering, am I happy about the Cowboys draft? I know I touched on it earlier in Quick Hits. I, I don't know if I'm happy with their draft. Because I understand why they took all the guys they took. I understand it. Um, what I don't, what I don't know though, is they did go based on need, but they didn't take like the best guy at that need. And you know, maybe I would have taken Jalen Tolbert. Maybe I would have taken someone else. I'm not really sure, but that's who they wanted. What I will say is, it seems like they got who they wanted. And you know, like I said, like uh, you know, Tyler Smith. In the first round is a guy that apparently was going to get picked very soon after. And uh, the thing about him was, yeah, he might have had a second round grade, might have been a second round player, but the Cowboys picked the 56 in the second round. He wasn't going to be there. So if that's your guy, you're at 24, he's there, you got to take him. So I get it. I understand what they did. I'm not mad at what they did, but I'm also not happy because I feel like these picks are all just based on potential. If it works out, if they if these players are who they think they are, then yeah, I'm very happy with the draft. If it's not, though, I've got some explaining to do. I also think that the Jaguars taking uh, uh, Walker number one is crazy. I'm never trusting a guy that has, like, okay production during the season or okay production on tape but then has an amazing combine and you're projecting what he could be. Number one? Nah, bro, you got to give me more of a short thing. What I would have done, I would have traded back. If I'm the Jaguars and that's the guy that I wanted, I would have traded back. Maybe just three or four spots. Maybe five or six and then, like, figured out who we can get with that and pick up an extra pick. I mean, I don't know. If, if it were, Listen, if he turns out to be who you think he's going to be, then great. Taking him at one, who cares? But I don't, he wasn't Chase Young. Chase Young was no doubt. Like, that's the guy you take. You have no choice. Like, what are you doing? That guy's a monster. That guy was a monster when he got to college and was a monster when he left and was a monster when he got to the league. This guy wasn't a monster when he got there. He wasn't a monster when he left. I have questions about them taking him number one. I think they fell in love with his, uh, his potential. And with his numbers and not really the tape. Look, I said it earlier, but I love the Jets picks, man. They took uh, Garrett Wilson number one. Come on, man. The best wide receiver. Jeremy Rucker, the best tight end, in my opinion, in the draft. They got Sauce Gardner. They got Jermaine Johnson. Yo, I, I love what they did because, in my opinion, like the Jeremy Rucker pick, for me, was one of those where it's like, that's unbelievable. I'm so glad they picked him in the third round when they did. Because that was a guy that I said is the best tight end. I don't care what other tight end you have. That guy is exactly what an NFL tight end is right now. He can get downfield because he's got good speed. He's got great hands. I've seen him make one-handed catches all the time. Right? 
He's a solid blocker. Not the best, but what tight end is a great blocker these days? You don't even ask him to block. That guy is going to be exactly what NFL tight ends are in the league today. And you're going to be happy that you got him. So I just love what they did. The Steelers took Kenny Pickett. <laughs> and I, listen, let me just say, can I just say, can I just say for the record, my, my bold prediction last week was there won't be a single quarterback drafted in the first round. Well, there ended up being a single quarterback drafted in the first round, and that was Kenny Pickett. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to just tell you honestly, in my opinion, honestly, the Steelers did not take Kenny Pickett because they think he's really good. I think the Steelers took Kenny Pickett because they love him as a person, as a man, because he played at Pittsburgh. They share a facility. Um, they, they, he, he's been in that stadium. He's been in that locker room. They've been around him. They've had access to him. Like, he's been there. It's, been, it's taken no time at all for them to be there and interact with him and see him and see him grow from a freshman till now. And I think they love him as a person. And I think as a player, they love his grit and his energy. And they're hoping he could be great. But I think this was basically, we just love him as a person. We have a need. This guy can satisfy that need on paper. Because we need a quarterback, he satisfies that on paper. But we love him as a person. We love this kid. And I think that's why they picked him specifically. Because there's no way you're going to tell me he was the best quarterback in this draft. And the Steelers, when they picked, had to pick up any quarterback they want. That's the one they chose. No coincidence that he, he was sharing facilities with them and they got to see him grow for the last four or five years. And can we leave the Patriots alone? Can we leave them alone about their picks? That's who they liked. If that's the guy that they deemed was the best guy available for them, why are we criticizing? That's what he wanted. <laughs> that's what Bill Belichick wanted. Listen, if there's anything about the Patriots we know, it's not that they just want guys. They want a specific type of guy. And if they interview these guys and they study these guys and they talk to everyone around these guys, and Coach Belichick is very thorough. I don't think anyone in that building is making a decision without being completely thorough, probably overly thorough about it. So if he's making that decision that this is the guy that I want, I'm going to trust that he wants him for a reason. And just because you wouldn't take him doesn't mean they're crazy or foolish or silly. Because guess what? That team is productive every single year. That team plays hard, plays well every year. Even if they lose, it's a tough out. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. And he took the guys that he wants. I don't agree with the picks either. But that's who he wanted. And if they turn out great, again, like I said before, when you want to trade or grab and say they got an F, what if they work out? What if all these guys turn out to be pro bowlers? Was it an F draft? No, it was a great draft. So let's pump the brakes on criticizing Patriots. The Kobe Dean going 83 to the Eagles hurts my soul and is a travesty. That guy is way better than 83rd pick. And it sucks that the Eagles got him. Why the Eagles, man? <laughs> Can somebody tell me why the Eagles get the pick? <sighs> now the Cowboys got to go against this guy. From what I understand, he, he had some, uh, pec, a pectoral muscle issue. But I don't care. I don't care. That guy's in the second round. Cowboys should have took him in the second round. I know you got your pass rusher, but N'Kobe Dean pairing him with, with the rookie of the year. Please, that linebacker core would be disgusting. That guy's a football player, man. Sucks that he's with the Eagles. Hopefully he don't stay. <laughs> David Bell, my my pet cat at receiver out of Purdue, went to the Browns at number 99. He's going to be great. He's going to be a really, really good player. Really good. He's going to be a really good player. 
I think, personally, I think he's one of the best receivers in the draft because I think he's steady. But you know what You know what I compare him to, actually? And this is interesting. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. But but picture Jarvis Landry when he was in Miami. Just a 100-catch guy, always there, always catching the ball. Not flashy, not special, not some guy that you game plan for and say, yo, what are we going to do? But a guy that produced. That's what he's going to be. And the Browns, Deshaun Watson, you got yourself a good one. David Bell is going to be a really, really good player in this league. I'm excited to watch him. And the Patriots, again, took Bailey Zappi. Watch out for this guy. Listen, kid can throw, man. Kid can play. Listen, obviously where he got drafted, I think, what, fifth, sixth round? That's right where he should have been drafted. (laughs) But as far as talent, as far as, like, skill set, I thought, in my personal opinion, either him or Matt Corral were my two favorites in the draft. Of the bunch. Now, Bailey Zappi's a guy that I would have taken late to take a flyer on, much like the Patriots did. Listen, Mac Jones isn't safe. He's, he's not irreplaceable. He's not so good that you think you can't get better than Mac Jones. If Bailey Zappi comes out there and performs, he could take his job. Maybe not this year, maybe not even next year. But when that new next that second contract comes up, and Mac Jones is now trying to get a new contract in a couple years, and Bailey Zappi might be ready to go. Uh, my big, 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 big watch out for this pick is Jalen Naylor from uh, Michigan State going to the Vikings at 191. Watch out for that guy. That guy can return the ball. That guy is a good receiver. I really like Jalen Naylor out of Michigan State. I think he's got a great attitude. I think he's got a great temperament on the field. I think he's got great speed. He's got good enough hands that'll get better, obviously, if he puts in the work. Um, But he's a return guy. He's a fast guy. He's a tough guy. I like that pick a lot. At 191, that's a good spot to take a chance on a guy. And a guy like Jalen Naylor going 191 is crazy. And I got to say, one of my favorite picks of the entire draft is uh, Thayer Munford from Ohio State going to the Las Vegas Raiders. I love that pick. I love that pick. I think that I think Munford is Munford is a guy who started at tackle, then went to guard, and then back to tackle, and then back to guard. And I think I feel like last year he was rated really high and like highly thought of as a tackle coming out. Um, but then they moved him over to guard. And he played well, but it wasn't as he didn't have a great season. So I feel like coming out is one of those guys. My opinion, I would I in mock drafts, I was always drafting him to the Cowboys as a guard in like the third, fourth round. I think that guy has the potential to play for them and start for them and really improve that offensive line. I think that's a great gamble. I think they picked him very late, like uh, I think sixth round, sixth maybe seventh round. But that I I love them picking him up. I think that's a I think that's a great. Uh, great addition I think if that guy can play up to his potential you got yourself a stud for the next 10-12 years for sure without a doubt that's my time y'all look uh, I know we spent a lot of time talking about boxing uh, went into the draft look my basic takeaways that fight was was amazing and I hope that this uh, Canelo fight this weekend is gonna be great listen you gonna watch it you gonna follow it yo maybe I'll nah 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 nah, nah. Look, follow me on social media at the John Farris on all social media platforms. Uh, like, subscribe, follow, hit me up, DM me, whatever. Let's conversate. If you're going to be watching the fight, let me know. Uh, let's exchange some ideas. Let's do round-by-round scoring. Why not? Listen, have yourself a good weekend, a Cinco de Mayo weekend. For those of you going out there and partying, be safe, be smart. Don't get in too much trouble. Remember, you got to go back to work on Monday. All right? <laughs> have a good weekend, y'all. Enjoy. See you next time.